Good evening and welcome once again to another episode of the Christian Underground News Network. It's Friday night. Yeah, you heard me right. Friday night, July the 7th. I know we normally do these on a Tuesday. We're trying to confuse you. Uh, not really, but uh, we, we've had to rearrange schedules and things of that nature. Life gets busy, you understand. Um, but as I've told you before, we're always faithful to be here and get and get this job done for you. And we are here and ready to do that very thing tonight. We <laughs> we have our good friend J.B. Hickson with us again, and uh, with, with some interesting subject matter. Um, if you like word studies, uh, you probably enjoy it. If you if you like the idea of uh, resistance to anything, you may want to listen closely to this. I know I do, and I can hardly wait to hear what he's got to say. So, JB, welcome again, sir. We are uh, really proud and blessed and uh, just excited to have you with us again. And uh, I know that you've got some very, very uh, intriguing subject matter for us tonight. Uh, pray tell, what <laughs> might that be? Well, Curtis, you guys are such a blessing. Uh, I can't think of a better way to end the week. Uh, you and I were talking just before we started recording that it's been a long week. We're both coming off of some, you know, long days, and uh, we've we're I'm kind of running around like crazy every day trying to keep up with the ministry demands here. We've had a busy week in terms of podcasts, and I no sooner finish a podcast than I'm running outside of our office here dealing with, you know, guys on huge backhoes and you know digging trenches and uh, working on on all kinds of projects around the property here and trying to keep up with it all, answer questions. And, you know, here in our studio, we have a on-air light that that lights up when I'm when I'm in a podcast or an interview or something so that people know not to to come into the office. And uh, but boy, as soon as that light goes off, it's like you can hear the stampede last week or so of people coming in because, you know, they have questions what we need to do. But anyway, I'm really delighted to be able to end this uh, busy yet fruitful week by diving into the word. One of the things I love about uh, Christian Underground News Network is that you guys are so bibliocentric. Um, obviously, at NBW Ministries, we try to be as well. Uh, but the nature of our ministry is sometimes we're doing shows and interviews that are topically related. And uh, even though I certainly bring in the scripture and try to tie everything back to God's word, when we're on your show, it seems like we are we are expositing a passage of scripture uh, many times. And so I'm calling today's uh, podcast uh, "Dying to Live." dying to live. And though it might sound like an oxymoron, anyone that knows the Lord and has read his word understands that really uh, that's what the Christian life comes down to. And uh, you had texted me a, a word uh, that you uh, that you had come across. And so I'm going to introduce that word since you promised a word study, but it, it was a word I'd never heard of. And uh, uh, I'm going to try to use that in my next book because it's one of those words that uh, I think needs to 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 be heard. But it's uh, it's the word kakoethes, uh, kakoethes, and it's uh, from the Greek word kako, which means evil or wickedness, um, and uh, and then the the word ethos, which of course means uh, your your 
your disposition, your 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 character, you might say. And so it's essentially a word that means evil evil disposition or maliciously disposed. And it has come to mean uh, in English, kakoethes is the word, an irresistible urge, an irresistible urge. And it's uh, really describes the fleshly nature. And so one of the things that we all struggle with as believers is even though we're born again Christians, we know the Lord, the Holy Spirit's taken up residence in our lives, we still sin. And we sin uh, because we want to. <laughs> Nobody forces us to sin, right? It's not an involuntary response. We are free will human agents, and we uh, choose to cater to the flesh and do things or say things or think things uh, that we should not do, that are contrary to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit within us and to the the positional righteousness that we have in Christ. And so uh, we all, you might say, have these urges, these irresistible urges, but in Christ, in the power of the Spirit, they're not irresistible. Uh, if we simply recognize who we are, uh, we ought to be able to uh, cater to the Spirit and not to the flesh. And I was thinking about that word kakoethes and this concept of, of irresistible urge, and I couldn't help but think of the, the mental word picture that Paul gives in Galatians chapter 5. Remember, he says in verse 16 that we should walk in the Spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But then he, he goes on to, to describe this tension. He says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Uh, and so that's essentially what, you know, a good description of, of every believer when they're caught up in sin, when we uh, lose our temper, when we lust when we uh, cater to that uh, darker side of us, the old man, as Paul describes it in Ephesians, uh, we are essentially not being led by the Spirit. And so uh, how can we resist the, the, the kakoethes, right? How can we resist these urges? How can we consistently walk uh, faithfully to our, our calling in Christ, to, to the new nature, if you will? Uh, well, that's that's what I mean by dying to live. And so uh, I want to just kind of walk through uh, a few passages and and kind of remind us of the motivation that we have as believers. Because, uh, Curtis, most people think of the Christian life in the sense of a, a list of do's and don'ts, do, uh, do's and don'ts, a checklist where you've got to, uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just will your way into resisting the, the shiny fruit, as it were, and doing what's right, as if somehow doing what's right is laborious, and it's, uh, you know, you got to force yourself to do it. But I think those people that come at the Christian life that way are missing the point entirely. Uh, you know, John tells us that God's commandments are not uh, cumbersome. They're not uh, uh, difficult. They're for our own good. And uh, really living out the Christian life, even though for most people, it's it's like a, you know, like a, a ping pong ball. You know, you're just one minute you're on fire for the Lord. The next minute you're, you know, you know, you've, you've tripped and fallen and your halo, you know, falls off, you know. So uh, it's just back and forth, back and forth. But I think that the key to consistency and the key to this concept of dying to self is 
understanding who you are, knowing your identity in Christ. And so I just want to give us five motivations, if you will, five reminders about who we really are in Christ. Because the moment you place your faith in Christ, no, no, not only are you uh, overcoming the penalty of sin so that you're no longer uh, hell-bound, um, but you also take up a new identity. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus, you're born again, meaning you've been reborn. You know, Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So uh, we sometimes forget that you know, even though we've been rescued from the penalty of sin because we've received the free gift of salvation by faith, that also comes with some some here and now blessings, you know, which are we are now part of the body of Christ, we're identified with Christ, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence, and we're a new person. Uh, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, uh, from which we eagerly await the Savior. So I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 4, and just kind of give you some reminders about uh, the new man. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. <clears throat> and let me give you a little bit of background first on uh, Ephesians. I always like to kind of contextualize a little bit because, you know, that way we're not guilty of just pulling verses out of context and kind of forgetting how they fit in the big picture of things. But I recently taught through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome, Rome for his first uh, imprisonment. And while he was there for two years, he wrote four epistles. We call them the prison epistles. And Ephesians was Paul's first prison epistle. Uh, he wrote it in the fall of 60 AD from Rome while he was under house arrest. Uh, he uh, People could come see him, but he couldn't really travel freely. He was kind of bound up in that one location in that house. It was the fall of 60 AD. Uh, uh, Ephesians is Paul's seventh letter overall. Remember, he wrote uh, 13. Um and, uh, you know, he's in, in prison and he's writing this, this letter. And the theme of the book, what I, one of the things I love about Ephesians is that, you know, and, and G. Campbell Morgan, by the way, put it this way, that great uh, scholar of the last century, dispensationalist, he said, Ephesians enables us to view God's plan from an alpine altitude. When we study this book, it is as though we have climbed a high mountain peak because the book gives us the kind of perspective uh, from from a, a high vantage point of what God is doing on earth. In other words, it really isn't a class by itself for its universality. You know, you think about some of Paul's epistles, like, say, the Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian epistles. They deal with a lot of local stuff that's that's happening right there in that culture and specific problems that they were dealing with. Or, you know, Galatians was dealing with the Judaizers and, and so forth. Philippians is, is much more theological in nature, and it really reminds us uh, of the mystery of the church. Uh, it reminds us that the Jews and the Gentiles made are made up of one body in this present age. It shows us God's purpose for the church in this present age. Um, it's just a, it's just a fascinating book. But uh, you get to chapter four, and Paul has this to say about our new nature as believers. The moment you pass from death to life, the moment you're reborn, when you've trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. Paul says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, meaning unbelievers, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, 
being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Well, what is this truth? That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and instead be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, that is there is a lot packed in there, and I know Pastor Dick is just probably chomping at the bit because you could just preach, you know, a year's worth of sermons from that, you know, the, from that text. It's just packed with profound theological truth. But let me give you some of the takeaways that that I get from this. How can we resist temptation, resist the urges of the old man, resist that fleshly desire that's within all of us? Because, you know, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if we could, when we got saved, if the new nature eradicated the old nature when we were all perfect, that once we trusted in Christ and Him alone for salvation, we just went poof, and just like that, we're all perfect. But having been in ministry for 35 years and served in quite a few churches and in other Christian institutions, I can promise you that Christians are not perfect. And uh, I keep a list, by the way. If you email me offline, I'll I'll give you a few uh, names. But, uh, uh, you know, we're not perfect. And so there's no such thing as poof Christianity or poof sanctification. We have to wrestle with that old man. But what happens the moment we trust Christ is that we now have the resources, the capacity, the ability to overcome these uh, cacoethes, these urges of the old man, and instead walk in the new man. So let me just give you real quick five, uh, I think, reminders or maybe motivations is the right term for uh, that will help us resist the the urge to sin. Number one, we need to remember that new is better than old. Uh, new is better than old most of the time. Obviously, there are exceptions, but in general, you know, you don't want to drive around in a, you know, broken down 1967, you know, VW convertible with a blown you know, transmission or something like that. You, you want a brand new Cadillac, right? Uh, most of the time, you don't want to live in an old dilapidated shack with no heat, no electricity, a leaky roof. Uh, you want a brand new house, right? Uh, you don't want to walk around in, in old, tattered, torn clothes. You want a, a new suit, right? New is generally better than old. Uh, and that's really what Paul uh, says here, that we should put on the new man. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 6 that we've been buried with him, with Christ, that is, through baptism into death, Just as that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, what? In newness of life. Uh, that's where we're supposed to live, in the new part of our life, not the old part of our life, because new is better than old. That's why the passage I quoted a moment ago, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 
if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, a lot of people mistakenly quote that passage to say that if there's anything in your life that you're living out that's that's sinful, if you're living in sin in any way, well, you must not be a Christian, because if you're a Christian, everything's new. Well, they don't understand positional truth. They don't understand the difference between justification and sanctification, and they certainly don't understand the biblical concept of of uh, what it means to be a Christian, because being a Christian does not mean being perfect in our practice. It means being perfect in our position. And the moment we trust Christ, we are covered by the blood of Christ. We're positionally righteous. But again, as long as we're topside this earth, we still have to wrestle with that old man, which means that sometimes our practice is not going to match our position. And so what changes when you trust Christ is your position, who you are in Christ. You are now a new person, uh, born again, as uh, Paul, as uh, Jesus told Nicodemus. So the first thing to remember is that new is better than old. But there's another analogy that Paul makes uh, going back to Romans chapter 6, and that is that free is better than enslaved. Free is better than enslaved. You know, in Romans chapter 6, Paul puts it this way, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, certainly not, he says. How shall we who died to sin uh, live any longer therein? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And in the passage we quoted a moment ago, uh, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And then he goes on to say, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now listen to this, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. So as I said, I'm calling this dying to self. Because every time we cater to the flesh as Christians and live like the old man, we are essentially enslaving ourselves again. We, we've been set free. The prison doors have been open. But for some reason, we think it's wise to walk back into that jail cell and, and close the door behind us. I Sometimes when I preach on this topic of uh, really sanctification or overcoming sin or living the Christian life, I'll play a clip of an old uh, uh, Andy Griffith show where Barney Fife, one of those episodes where he locks himself in the Mayberry jail. You know, he was forever doing that. You know, he would just walk in and then close the door behind him by accident. He didn't have his keys on him. And and Andy had a lot of fun with him when that happened. But that's that's a good picture to keep in mind of how silly it is for us to walk back into jail where we've been enslaved uh, and and, you know, live like that old man. Uh, so new is better than old. Free is better than enslaved. And, and you need to think about this when you're, when you're feeling that cacoethes, you know, that urge to do something that you know is not consistent with the new nature, with the new man. Um, and, and the third reminder, I would say, uh, is living is better than dead. <laughs> you know, living is better than dead. As again, Paul said, how shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? You know, uh, we should reckon ourselves, Romans 6, 11, dead uh, to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So 
why would we want to go back and live like a dead guy? You know, we are alive. We are been born again, born literally from above, spiritually reborn. Uh, Ephesians 2, uh, 1, Paul says, he, uh, he made us alive who were dead in our trespasses and sins. See, the moment you trust in Christ, uh, you are quickened. Your spiritual side, which is dead, is made alive again. But when we go back and sin and 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 give in to the temptations, we are essentially resurrecting that part of us that's dead, and we're living like a dead man. And so, uh, what we're supposed to do is die to the old man and live to Christ. We are to be, as Paul said, reckoning ourselves, literally considering ourselves to be dead to sin recognizing ourselves dead to sin. By the way, it's interesting to me in, in such a great uh, letter as Romans, really Paul's magnum opus, a powerful letter. I mean, all of Scripture is inspired by God, but Romans has some pretty rich truth in it, and especially for living the Christian life. It's not until Romans chapter 6, verse 11, that you come to the first command. Uh, in, in Greek, it's an imperative mood, meaning it's a command. And that's right here in this verse we just read, reckon yourselves or consider yourselves dead to sin. So again, as I started out by saying, overcoming temptation really comes down to recognizing who you are. Uh, if you stop and, and think about, hey, I'm a new man. I don't need to live like that old guy. Hey, I'm a free man. I don't need to live like someone sold under sin, a slave to sin. Uh, you know, hey, I'm I'm alive in Christ. Why would I want to act like a corpse and li live like something that has died? It's all about recognizing who you are in Christ. But not only uh, new is better than old, free is better than enslaved, living is better than dead. Royalty is better than poverty. Royalty is better than poverty. Do you ever stop to think about that once you know Christ, you are a child of the King? I mean, think about it. Uh, John said, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Uh, uh, in uh, John's first letter, he says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Uh, you know, we are not children of paupers. Uh, we are a child of the king. And, you know, royalty doesn't act like a pauper. And, you know, one of the things that I try to encourage people, especially in these troubling times when we see so much evil around us and so many uh, things just rapidly disintegrating all of our freedoms, and certainly the one world system is marching at the door, you know, you've got the rollout of the digital currency and the, you know, the hacking and tracking of humanity with transhumanism and uh, AI, you know, don't ever let Satan's agenda cause you to cower in the corner. You are a child of the king. Hold your head high. And if uh, the Lord tarries is coming and we're called to make the ultimate sacrifice, um, hold your head high. Now, you're a child of God. You don't live on this earth anyway. Our home is in heaven. We're just passing through. And when you begin to think about who you are, then those you know, silly habits and sins and temptations that that you know beset us all, as as the writer of Romans said, uh, they they begin to fade away and look less appealing, you know, uh, you know, to use the the metaphor of of food, since we think about the the original fall of man in the garden in the sense of eating the forbidden fruit, you know, that that fruit doesn't look 
no matter how shiny it is, quite so scrumptious when the alternative is a a banqueting table filled with every scrumptious possible steak and uh, fish and, uh, you know, all kinds of pasta and just a fit, a meal fit for a king. And, and that's kind of what we need to think about as we find ourselves uh, facing the cacoethes, this urge, this, you know, this urge to do evil. Instead, think, you know what? Yeah, I could do that, but I've got so much better in Christ. Why in the world would I want to settle for that? So royalty is better than poverty. So one more, but just to review, we said new is better than old, free is better than enslaved, living is better than dead, royalty is better than poverty. But finally, another analogy that Scripture uses when talking about Christians versus non-Christians, we need to remember that light is better than darkness. Light is better than darkness. Going back to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. John, going back to John in his first epistle, uses this same analogy. He says, this is the message, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Uh, you know, uh, why would you want to live in the dark when you can live in the light? You know, the older I get, uh, Curtis and, and Pastor Dick, you know, I I find myself sounding more and more like my father or my grandfather. I just, I don't like darkness. I can't see as well. I stumble over things. So when I come in a room, the first thing I do is turn on all the lights and I want to be able to see clearly. And I find myself griping at the kids sometimes who are sitting in a dark room on their computers or on their phones or, you know, watching a TV or something. And I'll say, why is it so dark in here? You know, um, but that's just a reminder that light is better than darkness and uh, light dispels the darkness and light, uh, you know, uh, exposes evil. And uh, remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, but he's not. He's dark. He's in the, he's the darkness. That's why we call it the dark side or the dark underworld, that kind of thing. So why in the world would you want to live in the dark when you are light in Christ Jesus? So, so that's just kind of some encouragement. The bottom line is, you know, uh, knowing Christ gives us un- unbelievable resources at our fingertips for navigating uh, you know, this life in such a way that we can find blessings on earth and rewards in heaven, and we don't have to give in to those urges to, uh, you know, to do what the, the the old man is tempting us to do. So hopefully that's just a, a good encouragement and reminder as we uh, wrap up the week and think about all that's, uh, that's, that's going on in the world. Um, remember who you are, you know, Christ purchased your redemption with his own blood. And, you know, you can tell how much something is worth by how much something someone is willing to pay for it. You know, uh, I used to kid my mom. She was an antique dealer for many years. My mom and dad owned an antique shop and uh, uh, it was mostly a hobby, but, you know, they they dealt in antiques for, for many years, even before they had the shop. And I'd walk into her store and I'd see all these widgets and gadgets and things. I didn't even know what they were from a hundred years ago. And they'd have these outrageous price tags on it. $200, $400, $1,000. 
And I would argue with my mom and I'd say, you know, how do you know this is worth that much? Well, that's just what it's worth. And she'd pull out some book and she'd look it up. Oh, here's what they say it's worth. Well, has anybody ever bought one of these? Well, no. I said, well, then to me, it's worth zero. I mean, it's only worth what someone's willing to pay for. I can put a sticker on there all day long. Uh, well, you know what the price sticker is on us? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. We are valuable. And so don't get down and wallow around in sin with with like a pauper, uh, uh, like an old man, like the old man. Live like a child of the king. Amen, Curtis? Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. Yeah. I a great reminder, sir. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> when, when I was looking at the definition of this word, when I saw it, I I didn't know what it what it meant either. Uh, I got a little bit different definition. I mean, it's the same, but just different wording. Uh, said, uh, I think it said something to the effect of, "Cacoethes was an irresistible urge to do something inadvisable." Yeah, and, and I, I think that sums it up well too. Um, yeah, and and you know, really, uh, we it, it's it's probably the most difficult thing to do in the Christian life is resist cacoethes. Yeah. Uh, by the way, for the record, sin is always unadvisable, right? <laughs> always. And then so. you know, you you mentioned in, in uh, Paul's epistle to the you know to the Romans. Let me tell you, and you're right about that. It's probably the pinnacle achievement uh, of, of doctrinal explanation. Uh, it, it's it's beautiful. Uh, you know, Paul Paul put a couple of laundry lists in there, didn't he? Mm -hmm. About things that are inconvenient to do, inadvisable yeah. Yeah. to do, yeah. and uh, and uh, so we need these reminders every now and then. We have the ability. We have. We have a tool chest provided by our dad, mm. our spiritual dad. Your dad ever hand any tools down to you? He did, and uh, I, I, and I love it. I mean, I, I, I still have a lot of them, and uh, I even know what most of them are. There you go. <laughs> See, our heavenly dad has passed down some tools to us. Yeah, Amen. And, and sometimes we forget where they're at. Yeah. Where did I put? Where did I put that hammer? Yeah, because I need to beat down some cacoethes right now. <laughs> okay, so and that's what we need to do: just to remind ourselves who we are uh, and and what we have at our disposal, uh, due to the grace and uh, the the great gift that God gave us in His Son Jesus Christ. Amen. So thank Amen. you, JB, for being with us again tonight. Great subject matter, and. So well explained as usual. I, <laughs> you're a joy to you're a joy to listen to. I could I could sit at your feet and take notes all day. Um, yeah. Actually, I'll just sit there and Pastor will take the notes because he hasn't looked up since you started talking. Well, you are gracious. I tell you, it's like I said, it's a it's a preaching to myself, really. You know, <laughs> I I said that one time to somebody. I said everything I I say to you, I'm preaching to myself, and they said, "Well, then how come you're not falling asleep?" So I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what that meant. But uh, but anyway, I uh, no, I really did need that encouragement because I tell you, it has been. Wendy and I were talking last night, June, just in a way, it flew by because we were so 
beaten down and just uh, preoccupied with one crisis after another. Uh, and, uh, you know, just little things like I mentioned in a sermon recently at Plum Creek, I think last Sunday, that, you know, our washing machine broke and Wendy, uh, a brilliant wife that she is, she looked up uh, on YouTube and found the exact model and found other people that had this problem and found a little video on how to fix it. And she ordered the part on Amazon and paid my son Landry 50 bucks to fix it. And we used it three times and it broke again. And so, you know, it's just like, you know, we just can't catch yeah. a break. So then she went online and found uh, in, in a neighborhood post a, a washing machine for a hundred dollars, a really good one, hundred dollars. I mean, that's amazing because the new yeah. problem with our the new problem with our one that broke a second time is it needs a pump. Well, the pump was going to cost 90 bucks plus, you know, to put it in the time and effort and figuring out how to do it. So now, you know, the Lord provided and we got a, got a replacement and it'll work as long as it works. And it wasn't that huge of an investment. So if it works for a month, well, we're okay. You know, but uh, you know, it's just one thing after another. And I just needed to be reminded of that. Uh, you know, even though Satan tries to discourage you, we are a child of the King and, and we never need to forget that. Amen, brother. Amen. Thank you for reminding us uh, about the tool chest that we've got mm. at our disposal. I appreciate it. Um, I I know where the tool chest is, and I, I have to use it on a daily basis, too. Uh, but, uh, well, I, I sure could get a lot better at it also. Amen. Amen. I think I'll strive to do that. Amen. So thank you for that reminder, JB. I appreciate it. And uh, to our to our listening audience, I want to remind you of a couple things before we go. Um, we will have an upcoming episode with Pastor Dick here very, very soon, and also one with Lucas Doremus. And uh, if you want more great information uh, during the week, if you're bored and you have nothing else to do, uh, hey, I've got an idea. Visit notbyworks.org and check out some of the fantastic information that JB has displayed on his website, you will be amazed. You really will. And um, you'll be able to live stream events from his church, Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado, among other things. Uh, he's He's got, he's got a, a vast treasure chest on that website, and you need to check it out. Check it out anytime you want. Um, with that being said, I... I've got some other things that I've got to attend to tonight. So I'm going to sign off for now, but keep your ear to the ground. We've got two more episodes coming up, one with Pastor Dick, one with Lucas. I don't know what day and time they're going to be. So you're going to have, you're on the tightrope with me. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll know when we know. All right. It's the best I can do for you right now, but we will, we will bring you those two episodes soon. So with that being said, have a wonderful night. And until we meet together again, may God bless and keep you. This is the Christian Underground News Network signing off for now. We will be back soon.